Well, for those of you who know, um, we've been going through the four squares of four square this month because we are a four square church. We've, we started off the year talking about Jesus the healer. We heard all kinds of different praises and reports about how Jesus to this day still heals. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we've seen many accounts within this own church of Jesus healing. Last week, we talked about Jesus the Savior. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. And that the sh- without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So if we did not want to pay for our own sins, we needed a Savior. Amen. Thank God Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven, yes. the only begotten of the Father. He came down, lived a sinless life, was crucified, was beaten, died to pay for the penalty that we deserved, and now he is risen again, sitting, seating at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us to this day. Today, we're going to get into something different. Because again, we've talked, we're a little bit out of order. If you look in the back, we have the four squares. We talked about Jesus the healer, Jesus the savior. Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some who have no idea what I'm talking about. There are some who instantly hear baptizer of the Holy Spirit and think we're going to do some holy rolling today. We're not. This is, huh? Calm down, Dave. (laughs) But before we get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I feel we should talk about the Holy Spirit himself. Because there is a lot of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Because it's important to know that Jesus, who Jesus baptizes you with. Now, it says in the Bible that John the Baptist baptizes us with water. But Jesus, in fact, baptizes us with fire and with the Holy Spirit. But we need to know who that is. Because there is a lot of misconceptions. So look, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. Let's see if this works. Yay. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the deal. This passage that I just read in 1 Corinthians, Paul is about to go into the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't start with, You're going to prophesy, you're going to this, you're going to that. He starts with, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can someone say Jesus is Lord. The whole point of this is, the Holy Spirit is in direct connection with and always points to Jesus Christ. And because he will always lead you to him, he will give you the ability to declare him Lord. This is a complete contrast to most other religions. During Paul's time, when paganism was very prevalent, temples were built basically on deception. I've seen documentaries of there was a, a statue of a particular god or goddess, and if you put a coin in as tribute to that god or goddess, they actually made a mechanism to where the the statue would move 
and turn around. And it would deceive the people into thinking, oh, the god or goddess must be very pleased with what I'm doing. It was a very ignorant way of teaching the masses because it was a deception thing. Everything was so secretive and mysterious, and you needed priests and priestesses to manipulate the people. And because the people were so common, they, you couldn't possibly know the god or goddess yourself. But Paul here is stating the exact opposite and the fact that God wants us to know him and he gives each individual the ability to know him and reveal himself to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all the things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Everything is open. There is no mystery. Just because I'm standing up here as a pastor and teaching the Bible does not mean I have mysteries that you could not possibly know. Everything that I have, as a matter of fact, is the exact opposite. The, the Bible teaches that I have to be completely open and honest with you and give you the full counsel of the Word of God because I will be judged more harshly. And so if I'm not giving you everything that God has called me to give you, then I'm in trouble. So God wants us to know him. And through that, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. In the church today, as I've seen it, we either have a misunderstanding of him, intentional or not, and we have a downright sometimes, some churches have a dismissiveness of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, here's the four-square statement of faith. He's the third person of the Godhead, the Spirit of the Father, shed abroad, omnipotent, omnipresent, performing an inexpressibly important mission upon the earth, convicting of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, drawing sinners to the Savior, rebuking, pleading, searching, comforting, guiding, quickening, teaching, glorifying, baptizing, and imbuing with power from on, on high those who wield to his tender ministrations, preparing them for the great day of the Lord's appearing. So here's the deal. The Holy Spirit has always been around. He is not a new concept. He's not something new. As I've said before from the very beginning, God is a triune God. He is three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me to go too deeper into that because, again, I'll get a nosebleed and pass out. Someone else will have to take over for me as to preach. But he is three in one. Okay, and, and this is a huge pet peeve of mine. Notice what I'm saying. He, the Holy Spirit, is not an it. I get very, very irritated with that. He is God, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is the third person in the Trinity. He is not a representative of God. He's not an appliance or a tool of God. He is God, and he is power. He's the one that should be within us today during the age of the church, yes. So, again, this is why 
It is such a huge deal for those who believe that we are, in fact, the temple of the living God when it says the Holy Spirit will be in you. This is why Paul says that we are the temple of the living God. Look in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not of your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, buildings are nice, but God does not live here in Liberty Church at 3855 South 500 West. He doesn't, I've said this before, he doesn't twiddle his thumbs after we're done here on Sunday and go, gee, I hope they come back. He lives within every single believer. God the Holy Spirit is within us. The king and creator of the entire universe lives within you if in fact you belong to Christ Jesus. So, again, to not acknowledge the Holy Spirit as God is to not acknowledge the whole truth of God himself. But just because, and, and I get it, we, we, don't, we may not understand it, but just because we don't understand something doesn't make it not true. And the Holy Spirit has feelings, he has a will, he has intentions, he has commands that are in complete and perfect harmony with God the Father and God the Son. I read a book on the Holy Spirit when I first got saved, and this is what Billy Graham writes in his book. There is nothing that God is that the Holy Spirit is not. All the essential aspects of the deity belong to the Holy Spirit. We can say of him exactly what was said of Jesus Christ in the ancient Nicene Creed. He is the very God of very God. So we bow before him, we worship him, we accord him every response, Scripture requires of our relationship to the Almighty God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. Now, there's been some misconceptions on the work of the Holy Spirit and what that means and what it specifically looks like. As a matter of fact, uh, Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of our movement, one of her criticisms of the Pentecostal movement of that particular period was people were accrediting certain behaviors that had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. People were clucking like chickens and hooting and hollering and and all these different things. And and she talks about, especially in her book, you know, it's a big deal to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to have these particular gifts, to be imbued with the Holy Spirit. And she's preaching this, and there was, in fact, a woman who was in the back, and she was just hooting. And, you know, she's trying to preach and trying to preach, and there's a certain group of people that are not knowing about the Holy Spirit, and they're trying to figure out what it is that she's saying. And this woman in the back just kept going and kept going, and finally she had to stop and go in the back and explain, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to quiet down. And, and the woman accused her of quenching the fire of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're stopping the power of the Holy Spirit. And she specifically points out if this was, in fact, the Holy Spirit it wouldn't be disrupting people from actually knowing and learning about God. And this is what you're doing. She did it in love and respect, and the woman accepted the correction and different things. But again, God is not 
mystical or aloof. His actions aren't without, without purpose or meaning. Again, he's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order and purpose. And that is, in fact, the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes it plain in John 16. However, when he, the spirit of truth, come, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The truth in which the Holy Spirit guides us is the truth about Christ himself. The Spirit also helps us through patient practice to discern right from wrong, whereas before we might not have thought about that. Again, I've talked about this, the work of the Holy Spirit before I was a Christian. I didn't think about doing certain things. It was no problem for me to go off and do certain things. After I became a Christian, I was not taught it was right or wrong. The subject didn't even get brought up. I started doing those things, and suddenly I was very uncomfortable. Suddenly there was that little nudge, hey, that's not good. You don't need to go down that path anymore. Come right back this way. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit. He discerns right and wrong for us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would tell what is to come, the nature of their mission by the apostles, the opposition they face, and the final outcome of their efforts. They didn't fully understand the promises of the Holy Spirit until the Holy Spirit came upon him, upon them after Jesus' death and resurrection. Again, Romans 8. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God another work of the Holy Spirit. Notice I haven't talked about gifts. I haven't talked about tongues or anything yet. He is declaring who Jesus is, and he's declaring to us who we are in Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, he or she gains all the privileges and responsibilities of being a child in God's family. We may not always feel as though we belong to God, but the Holy Spirit will always be our witness. His inward presence reminds us of who we are and encourages us with God's love. And of course, he bestows gifts upon us to carry out his will and purpose for the church. Reliance on the Holy Spirit is key in a Christian's life. This is why Jesus said in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Before this, Jesus said, wait. Stay in the upper room, pray, and wait until this power comes upon you. Then go out and preach the gospel because it should never be about our own efforts. The believer is never left to our own resources. It's not God saying, you've just got to figure it out, good luck. He comes upon us, and we are completely and irrevocably reliant on the Holy Spirit. 
Everything Jesus commands us to do, calls us to do, requires the power of the Holy Spirit. I've talked about this before. Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, that can only be met by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and now is making intercession for us on our behalf. We are only perfected in him. Jesus specifically says to pray for those who persecute you. The whole concept of stories about Paul and them being in prison and singing praises to God and then praying for and helping those who persecuted them can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit because I can't do that myself. You can't do that yourself. Our human nature requires that we get even, that we are filled with hatred towards those who have hurt us. But it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do the things that Jesus has called us to do. A gospel with no emphasis on the Holy Spirit is flat. We think what's really going to draw people to God are those churches with lots of entertainment or makes people feel good or feel spiritual. Churches that may even appeal to certain demographics. All of these things are based on flesh ideas. And that's why a lot of churches don't have, seem to have power behind them. Because it's man-made ideas trying to get people to come and be entertained and fill up seats and look how great we're doing, look how many people are coming, all those different things. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2. He specifically says, In my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. It is not my words or any other pastor's words or anyone else's words that have any power other than the Holy Spirit speaking through me Amen. or any other pastor. It has nothing to do with me. I'm not trying to be persuasive. I'm way too dumb to try to trick you into salvation. Trust me. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Paul talks about. To not rely on the Holy Spirit and utilize his power and gifts, it's like cutting the circulation off of an arm and then watching it die. In order to receive the power of God, you don't need a religious formula. There's not a ritual to this. But what you need is a relationship with the person. Again, it's all about the person, Jesus Christ. The person, the Holy Spirit. Before seeing his divine manifestation, the believer needs to learn to love, serve, adore, and respect the Spirit, wait in him, and of course form a relationship with him. Again, the whole idea is in John 4. But the hour is coming and now come when the true worshipers will worship the Spirit in truth, Spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. So we're talking to the Samaritan woman. She said, hey, you know, we Samaritans, we believe that we worship over here. You Jews say we should worship over there. Jesus says, not about the address. It's about God is Spirit. You must worship in Spirit and in truth. He goes where you go. It's not where you worship that counts, but how you worship. Is it in fact, in spirit, 
and in truth. Because there's no doubt that in the, in the church, a life filled with the Spirit actually should be the norm. The filling of the Spirit was even a requirement for serving in the church. Without a life full of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to build the body of Christ, and we actually end up limiting God's work in our lives. That is what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus meant when he said that we will, in fact, receive power. Okay. Here's the four-square statement of faith about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the incoming of the promised comforter in mighty and glorious fullness to imbue the believer with power from on high to glorify and exalt the Lord Jesus, to give inspired utterance in witnessing of him, to foster the spirit of prayer, holiness, sobriety, to equip the individual and the church for practical, efficient, joyous, spirit-filled, soul-winning in the fields of life. And that this being still the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, the believer may have every reason to expect his incoming to be after the same manner as that in which he came upon Jew and Gentile alike in Bible days, as is recorded in the word that it may be truly said of us at the house of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Now again, it's not just about speaking in tongues, though that is part of it. Speaking in tongues is part of it. As a matter of fact, most Pentecostal churches, we are a Pentecostal church, we will point to Acts 2.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, again, we believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so we still believe that that is true today because Jesus specifically said, Mark 16, and these, will, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. Now, there's different versions of this. That a lot of people talk about the gift of tongues. There's a gift of tongues where you speak in a human language that you've never known before. All of a sudden, you're speaking Vietnamese because God utters you to speak Vietnamese. There's the prayer language. There's all kinds of different things. But it's not what people think because, I mean, for most people, and I, I don't know many of you out here, but what is the first thing that you think of? What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Pentecostal church and speaking in tongues? They're making it up. They're making it up. It's loud. It's loud. There's people yelling. There's people, there's a cacophony and chaos and people just screaming and all these different things and falling on the floor. That is what most people think of. And again, this is exactly what Sister Amy fought against during her time as while she was at the church. She fought against this because she expressly said, God is God, not a God of chaos, this is a God of order. That's why I usually, when I tell people about Foursquare Church, I describe Foursquare Church, we are Pentecostal light. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues, but we also believe that it needs to be tempered with order. Paul even talks about this. 1 Corinthians 14. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, 
And there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? This is what Paul talked about. This is the issue. I've, I've specifically had this experience, and I believe I've talked about this before. My very first experience in a Pentecostal church, I was about 13. It was a Wednesday night. I was with a buddy of mine. He said, hey, my mom, you know, I got to go to this church. I got to go to my church. My mom's making me go to this church, and then we'll go hang out and do whatever we got to do. And they were Pentecostal heavy. And people were flopping on the, they fell down on the floor, which is perfectly fine. But they were yelling, they were screaming, they were running, they were clucking like chickens. And it was just, it seemed as someone who did not know what was happening, no one explained it to me. Again, I told you guys last week, I was a little Catholic boy. I was an altar boy. And they were telling me this was the Holy Spirit. And I was like, no, you need an exorcist. You need a holy water, you need a priest, you need all these different things. And it was just, to me, it was utter chaos. I didn't know what was happening. It terrified me. I never wanted to have anything to do with that stuff again. And again, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come, please, come quickly. <laughs> no. But again, there is a biblical way of speaking in tongues during church. Again, God is a God of order. God will move. The Holy Spirit will move and give you utterance to praise God, to worship Him. You know, we're used to a Pentecostal church. There's a lot of amens. There's a lot of hallelujahs. Believe me, it's in stark contrast. I started off in a Baptist church after I became a Christian, and they're real quiet. Very, very quiet. You can almost hear... The kids in children's church cough. It was so quiet. But the Holy Spirit, again, he does not cause chaos. As a matter of fact, there's, there's one instance where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit giving utterance in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. And I'll explain this later. But if you're in here today and you're praying and you're worshiping and you're glorifying and praising God, suddenly you start speaking in your prayer language. There's nothing wrong with that. What he is saying is it doesn't mean to take over the whole entire church. It doesn't mean it disrupts things. Okay? It's part of the order of the church. It's part of the Holy Spirit doing his work. But this instance, this is another instance of speaking in tongues. And again, I've had the same experience. I was in my old church with my mentor. He was preaching. Someone all of a sudden over here spoke in tongues. Someone over here interpreted. Someone over here spoke in tongues. Someone over here interpreted. Hallelujah. And then the same thing and the same thing. Okay. Now notice it says two or three at most. Someone all of a sudden started speaking in tongues. My mentor, Pastor Mark, said, stop. We're done with this. We're a biblical church. The Holy Spirit has said all he needs to say. We're now going to move forward with the service. Okay, this is something that is supposed to happen. And again, the message wasn't, you know what, you guys are just so awesome. I'm going to bless you with riches and fancy cars and everything. It wasn't a feel-good message. The message was, 
As a matter of fact, as those three spoke in tongues and then interpreted, I have called you to be holy, so be holy and keep your focus back on me. So the Holy Spirit was seeing the church go in one direction, and the Holy Spirit, through the gift of tongues and interpretation, said, you need to come back. You're going in a wrong direction. It was a call to repentance. And again, this goes in line with what the Holy Spirit does. He leads us into truth. We were going away from the truth. There was something going on with the church. We were going this way. And the Holy Spirit said, no, right back to Jesus. You need to focus on being holy as God has called you to be holy. Now, that scripture in 1 Corinthians goes on to say in verse 28, but if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent and let him speak to himself and to God. And again, like I said, this is more of the prayer language that most people think of as tongues. Paul mentions in the beginning of the chapter, in verse 2, for he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. This is kind of more of a, the gift of tongues. This is your prayer language that sometimes you don't even understand. Okay, this is something that goes on between you and God. You're praising or you're worshiping God. And again, today, there's no problem with doing this in church, but again, the Holy Spirit is not a disruptive spirit, but he will give you utterance as God has called you to be. Now, Again, those are the gift of tongues. Those are what we, know, we see as evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But there's different ways to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, there's no religious formula. We do not have a ceremony here and do certain religious things and then you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, our founder, Sister Amy, said in one of her books that she, for weeks and weeks, attended prayer meeting after prayer meeting on her face, praying for the gift of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. She prayed and prayed and sought after and sought after, and after weeks of this, the Holy Spirit fell upon her, and she began to speak in tongues. Okay, the Bible also talks about Peter and Paul going to other believers, and as a matter of fact, laying hands on them, and they were then baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is, that's not with Peter and Paul, obviously, but that was my experience, again, with my mentor sitting in his office talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, well, why don't we get up? Let's pray. And he laid his hands on me, and we started praying, and suddenly tongues started flowing out of me. Now, again, remember, my first experience was terrifying. And I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't have to be ginormous. Sometimes it is. Sometimes, you know... People talk about how they couldn't barely walk to the altar and they just fell face down because they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. My experience was a little bit more quiet and gentle because I think the Holy Spirit knew my personal experience. So as my mentor prayed over me, laid hands on me, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit come upon me, but I'm like, oh, no, not, not, the, not the thing, not from back then. And the Holy Spirit, oh, okay, well, just take your time and relax. And then it finally just gently and quietly. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I didn't fall on my face. It was the most gentle, quiet, calming, loving experience with God I've ever had. And it just spoke in tongues, and that was the end of it. 
being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, there's different ways. But again, baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just about speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, there's another way where Peter talks about how he was preaching to this group of people. And suddenly the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they were speaking in tongues. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. But it's not just about speaking in tongues. It is the power to effectively and fruitfully preach the gospel and live out the Christian life. There's a quote that I like to to read. The only problem with it, I had to change it because it calls Holy Spirit it. It irritates me. But I like this quote. The Holy Spirit doesn't just make you dance and speak in tongues. He also makes you shut up, apologize, and even examine yourself. So again, on the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't just speak in tongues. Where once he cowardly hid in the upper room after being baptized with the Holy Spirit, he boldly steps out to a crowd of people and proclaims the gospel to them openly and honestly and effectively to the point where 3,000 people were saved. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He gives words when we are otherwise speechless, when we have no words of our own. Again, he convicts us of sin. He never condemns. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. I want to make sure we're aware of that. The Holy Spirit will never condemn you. He will never, if you are in Christ Jesus, he will never say you are unsaved, you're evil, you're completely damned. But the Holy Spirit will, like I've spoken about in my own personal life, will convict us of our sin. You know that's not right. You know that goes against Scripture. You know that that is a path that leads to death. Come back to the path that leads to right. He will always lead you to repentance. And he will remind us of the things of God and will always, always, always point out and glorify Jesus Christ and remind us of our place in him and always help us in our weakness. Again, the Bible talks about how we don't even know what to pray for, but in our groanings, as Don was talking about, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us and pray for us because we just don't even know how to do this. He comes in our weakness. He helps us. So this is the last scripture I want to share as the worship team kind of comes up. I guess you got to go fetch Stephen. (laughs) Went to go hang out with kids. But again, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this is what Jesus, what the Spirit does for us. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself makes intercession with us, for us with groanings which can't be uttered. Now he searches the heart and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So this is the triune God working together for us. This is God the Father 
sending God the Son, who then tag teams and sends God the Holy Spirit, and never, ever, ever leaves us orphans in this dark world. He says, therefore, go, and he goes before us and with us and through us. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you for the ability to even approach your throne by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Father, for the intercession of the Holy Spirit that tells my spirit that I am yours and that whoever knows Jesus Christ is yours. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I ask you to do a work in us according to your will. Strengthen us and guide us and help us in our weakness so that we can effectively live this life that you have called us to live. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in my life through Jesus Christ. I thank you for your guidance. I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your grace through Jesus. Help us to remember that you always point to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because without Jesus, we are nothing. We ask you to bless everybody here, lead them and guide them and help them, strengthen them in their weakness. And Holy Spirit, help us to remember that you are God, the Holy Spirit himself, working in us. And we thank you for that miracle that Jesus makes us so clean that God can live in us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.